Our Bible reading uh, this morning is from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. That's Luke chapter 2, from verse 1. Very familiar words, but uh, very important words. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger." Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And we thank God for his word. Well, there can't be a better known passage of scripture than the one I just read. It's the stuff of nativity plays that most of us have known since childhood. In my day, you wore your dressing gown, and I'm glad to see that some of the maze kids last week were following that tradition. These days, of course, you can go down to Sainsbury's and fork out for uh, bought uh, nativity costumes. Um, I saw some the other day, the, the king's outfit and the shepherds and Mary and Joseph, of course. But perhaps this story is a little bit too well known. And maybe we need to come back to it and consider how it really happened according to the most reliable record we have, which of course is the Bible, and not according to the traditions that have grown up around this story over the centuries. Traditions like celebrating the birth of Jesus on the 25th of December when he was probably born in September, or Christmas trees, or eating turkey, or spending too much money on presents. All of those are about as far removed from what really happened at the birth of Jesus as Belfast is from Beijing. 
But before you cry Scrooge at me, I'm not saying that those traditions are bad or that we shouldn't stop doing them, apart from spending too much money, because that's never a good idea. But we do need to pay more careful attention to what the Bible says about the birth of Jesus. And maybe if we do, we might find that God has something still to say to us. So where are we going in this sermon? Well, the focus will be on an extraordinary God coming into our ordinary lives. And as we walk through this passage, we'll see how this happens and what it means for us, because I think we can agree that we are ordinary people. At least I'm sure I can say that of myself. I am ordinary, but I worship an extraordinary God. And it's a great reassurance that God is engaged and interested in every aspect of my ordinary, everyday life. And I hope it is for you too. So let's see how this theme of an extraordinary God coming into our ordinary lives works from verse 1. So straight away we read of a world event that affects ordinary people. Caesar Augustus, the ruler of the known world, has decreed that a census be taken of his empire. Now this wasn't a census like the one we had not so long ago, which you could fill in fairly quickly online. In the ancient world, a census could take years. And as part of this census, Joseph had to go to his own town to register. And Caesar Augustus wasn't running this census to help him decide how to offer the best healthcare or other essential services for his subjects. He was counting heads to make sure he got paid the right amount of tax. And from a human perspective, Augustus was the most powerful man in the world. He was the elite of the elite, and he wanted to measure his wealth to make sure he maximized it. And so, ordinary people, ordinary people like Mary and Joseph, had to comply. Of course, we think now of Mary and Joseph as special because we know this story so well, but they would have thought of themselves as ordinary Ordinary people who were called to fulfill the extraordinary purposes of God. There was, of course, one thing about Joseph that was a bit out of the ordinary. He was a descendant of David, and his hometown was Bethlehem, the town of David. We don't know if Joseph was born there and had moved away to Nazareth, or if it was simply the home of his ancestors. Either way, what Augustus in his grand plan didn't know what is it that it was God who had instigated this worldwide event of the census, so that Jesus would be born in, Naz- in Bethlehem as prophesied in Micah chapter 5. But you, Bethlehem, Ephratha, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. I wonder when we get caught up in world events like COVID or climate change, do we feel out of control and at the mercy of circumstances like Joseph and Mary must have felt? And yet God uses these things for his purposes. Do you remember back in 2010 when that volcano with the unpronounceable name erupted in Iceland and caused massive disruption to air travel? Well, we were in South Africa just before that happened. We were visiting Renee's mom, who hadn't been well enough to travel to our wedding uh, a couple of months before, uh, and so we were out there in South Africa um, when that was just about to happen. And I had a job interview uh, just after we were due to come back, 
And we actually flew to England just a few hours before the flights were stopped. And then we had a ferry booked to go to Northern Ireland. If the timing had just been a few hours different, I would have missed that job interview and not become the training development officer for the Presbyterian Church in Ireland for the next 10 years. That was certainly a sign to us that God was in control even when these world events were happening. So whether in COVID or in flight disruption from a volcanic ash cloud, we can be sure that God is working his extraordinary purposes out in ordinary ways in our ordinary lives. That's not to say that we're always kept free from suffering or that things always work out just as they did for us flying back from South Africa in 2010. But with eyes of faith, we can see God at work when the world despairs at seemingly random events or worse, when people in power dictate what happens in our lives. And so for Mary and Joseph, there was a world event and there was also, of course, a family event the birth of a child. Children are born all the time. It's quite an ordinary occurrence. Though, of course, when it's your children, it's, it's very special. But apart from it being in Bethlehem and not Nazareth, as Mary had hoped, this was an ordinary event. Christmas traditions have embellished the story. So we have the, the mean innkeepers in nativity plays turning the couple away, just hours away uh, from Mary giving birth. We have the stable with all the animals of the farm. And what would we do without all those parts for the children to play? But none of that is in the biblical text. And therefore, it's very likely that there was no innkeeper and no stable. Now, again, I'm not saying it's wrong to have a bit of artistic license in a nativity play. After all, a play is simply a, a reimagining of what might have happened. And there is actually something biblical about that idea that we either turn Jesus away, like the unfriendly innkeeper who says no room, or we welcome him into our lives. And so this quote, which we spotted on the notice board uh, on a church in Lisbon, is still relevant. If there's any character in a nativity play that we should identify with, it's the innkeeper. Each one of us is an innkeeper who decides if there's room for Jesus. And of course, there's a biblical reference for that, but not in Luke's gospel. It's in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, where Jesus says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. But when it comes to the biblical text before us in Luke's gospel, there is no innkeeper and there's not one in Matthew's gospel either. Well, why am I saying this? I'm not saying it to disrupt the revenue stream for Sainsbury's when they can't sell those nativity costumes anymore. I'm not saying it uh, just to be controversial. I want to show you what, that when you pay careful attention to what the Bible actually says, God can say something to us. And so in verse 7 it says there was no guest room available for them. You notice that? Uh, I read from the 2011 version of the NIV. In the 1984 version of the NIV Bible it says there was no room for them in the inn. But actually the important thing is the linking word because in this sentence. It doesn't say they were rejected and had to stay in the stable. It says Jesus was placed in the manger because there was no room for them in the guest room or the inn. Luke isn't telling a story of a mean innkeeper. He's telling us how Jesus ended up in a manger. And why is that important? 
was mentioned three times in, in chapter 2. It's important because the baby in a manger is going to be a sign for the shepherds, as we'll see shortly. The other thing that helps us here is to know that the word for guest room is better translated, is a better translation than in. We know this uh, because the Bible uses a different word uh, in Greek for in in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember the Good Samaritan uh, provided for the, uh, the man who had been beaten up by robbers uh, in an inn. And the word that Luke uses here in chapter 2 is the same word used for guest room that Jesus uses for the Last Supper. But in that case, it was obviously a large room because it had to accommodate Jesus and the 12 disciples. So when Jesus was born, either, in the, either the guest room was too small for a mother to give birth, or another family was in it already because, of course, as we know, Bethlehem would have been busy. But the point is, actually, we don't need to know why, because the main point is that, they, that Jesus was born in a manger. And why was that? Because they had to move to the main room in the house, and then the main room is where the animals would have come in uh, at night, and that's why there was a manger there, a feeding trough. I didn't know this, uh, but I, when I was Googling this, uh, maybe some of you remember this, uh, people used to put babies in a drawer. And anybody remember this from days gone by? No? Anyway, apparently people used to do that. And in Finland, they put them in boxes, but I think it's a proper box. It's not just uh, any box. But what Mary did was the equivalent of that. This, there wasn't really anything extraordinary about it, but it meant that when the shepherds came, they would know that this was the promised child. It's also likely that Mary and Joseph were staying with extended family, and there would have been women there to help Mary in her childbirth. So actually, in Tivity Place, we should have those women along as well. This was an ordinary birth with some inconveniences because the circumstances were not ideal. An ordinary birth in everyday life, but to a special child, an extraordinary child. Jesus, the Son of God, comes into ordinary lives. He did 2,000 years ago, and he does today. Are we ever tempted to keep him just for special occasions? Do we relegate him to the church building or to nativity plays once a year when he should be at the center of our homes? Are we ever tempted to think that he's not interested in the everyday, in our family life, in our social circles, in our homes, or in our workplaces? Because in verse 8, the scene shifts from the home to the workplace, shepherds working outside in the fields at night. These were ordinary people doing an ordinary job. The angels didn't appear to Caesar Augustus or anyone in the elite ranks of Roman society. They appeared to ordinary people. The wise men, of course, came later. Luke doesn't mention them. No doubt because he wants to focus on the ordinary people whose lives Jesus touches. There wasn't any such thing as a middle class in the ancient world, but there was a middle economic group, and Mary and Joseph and the shepherds were there in the middle. Underneath were the really poor people, like widows and orphans and disabled people and unskilled laborers who were paid by the day, a bit like zero-hour contracts today. And then, of course, there were the many people who were in slavery. But Mary and Joseph and the shepherds were somewhere in the middle. And I'm guessing that most of us are somewhere in the middle too. I didn't see anybody arrive by helicopter or private jet today. So we're not in the elite, 
Uh, we're like the shepherds and like Joseph who worked in construction. I'm not saying God isn't interested in the poor. The, God is very interested in the poor. There are countless verses and passages in the Bible about the poor, and it's so important that we uh, care for the poor because God has a heart for the poor. And God is also interested in reaching the elite because even members of Caesar's household believed as the result of Paul's preaching. But the point is that our extraordinary God comes into our ordinary lives. And we should remember that Jesus is for every day and every working day, not just for the Christmas and Easter holidays. And what an extraordinary way God comes into the shepherd's workplace in verse 9. An angel of the Lord appears, and he must have been impressive because the shepherds were terrified. And the angel proclaims the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, this baby Jesus born in an ordinary way as a human being, as a descendant of David in the town of David, will be Savior, Christ, and Lord. And just in case the shepherds were in any doubt about this, and I'm sure they weren't, in verse 13, a great company of angels appear and praise God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to, on, to men on whom his favor rests. I don't know if any of you are fans of Peppa Pig. We all know Boris Johnson is. Uh, but if you, if you know that program, and, and we do, not so much now, but uh, certainly in earlier years, uh, you know that song in the school that they love to sing, uh, Peace and Harmony in All the World? Um, peace and harmony in all the world, and it goes on and on and on like that forever. Well, when people are asked what they would love to see in the world, if they think anything outside of themselves, they say world peace. And that, in fact, was what Caesar Augustus had achieved uh, in the known world anyway. That's his empire up there on the screen. And it was an impressive achievement that Augustus had, uh, had done. When he was 19, his uncle, Julius Caesar, was assassinated. Augustus defeated the forces of Brutus and Cassius, who had killed Julius Caesar. Then there was another civil war, which he fought and won against Mark Antony and Cleopatra in 31 BC. And then Augustus became the sole ruler of the Roman world. And so for years before the birth of Jesus, Augustus was known as the one who had brought peace to the world. And this was widely seen as a miracle because for 200 years, there had been conflict within the Roman Empire. But here is Jesus, who is so far removed from that elite group of people. Think of Cleopatra. She may or may not have had baths of milk, but she was the elite of the elite. She was at the pinnacle of society. If there were magazines about those sort of people uh, in those days, she, of course, would have featured on the front cover. Augustus was famous throughout the world. His name means revered, and the month of August is named after him. Jesus, when he was born, was the opposite. At this point, he was unknown, except to a few ordinary people who knew that he was an extraordinary child, a child who would bring peace, and a greater peace than Augustus could ever imagine. When people say they want world peace, it's a worthy aspiration. But there's a greater peace, there is peace with God. When that peace comes into our ordinary lives, we are transformed. But notice that the angels didn't say this was a universal peace for everyone, but peace for those on whom God's favor rests. Peace for those who receive the grace of Jesus Christ. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners 
reconciled. A peace with God that no human, not even one as powerful as Augustus, could ever give. A peace that comes into ordinary lives from an extraordinary God. So the shepherds hear these words from the angels and they go to see the child. And isn't it interesting that the, the sign they saw in the heavens, the angel, first the one angel and then the heavenly host, was an extraordinary sign to them. And yet the sign that they were told to go and see was very ordinary, a baby born in a manger. No doubt, of course, they told Mary and Joseph everything that had happened. And then they tell everybody all around and everyone is amazed at these extraordinary things that they've learned about this seemingly ordinary child. But, verse 19, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. We all have life events that we want to remember. My phone keeps prompting me with uh, photos of things taken years ago, uh, things like Christmas and birthday parties and other family events, memorable events uh, that pop up. Uh, on my phone. They are significant times in our ordinary lives. And God is there in those times when we invite him in. For Mary, the birth of her first child was so significant for her, just like it would be for any mother. But it was all the more significant for her and for us, because this was the extraordinary God becoming one of us. Jesus coming into our ordinary lives so that he, as our extraordinary God, could save us could become the true King and Lord of our lives, of every moment and every day, in our life events, in our workplaces, in our family life, in world events which change our ordinary lives. God is there if we put our faith in him. Just as Mary put Jesus in the commonplace manger, do we pray to God in the kitchen and the living room? Do we worship him in the office, in the classroom, in the factory, or whatever our workplace is? Would it take a heavenly host of angels to make us pay attention, or are we already living lives of faith day by day and hour by hour? Do we know day by day, and not only on Christmas Day, that we have an extraordinary God coming into our ordinary lives so that our lives might be changed to glorify him? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the extraordinary gift of Jesus, your Son coming from heaven to us into our ordinary lives. We thank you that he was born in Bethlehem all those centuries ago and placed in a manger as a sign to the shepherds. We thank you that he came into those ordinary lives, the lives of the shepherds, to Mary and Joseph and the, the people all around. And we thank you that he comes today to us when we receive him uh, by your grace. We thank you that he comes by his spirit into our lives, into every part of our lives when we invite him in. And so, Father God, please, we pray you'd help us to do that in our workplaces, in our places of study, in our homes, in our family events, in, in every part of our lives, day by day. We thank you that we can gather together and celebrate all that you have done for us today and throughout the Christmas season at the carol service this evening and on Christmas Day and on Boxing Day. But Father God, we pray that every day our hearts would be tuned to worship you and to glorify your name. And we pray all these things in the wonderful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.